Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Jesus begins to fill in the blanks to deal with their puzzlement by actually giving them a series of pieces of the puzzle. And what I see is Jesus sort of summarizes what, well, what we get in the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 19. He summarizes it here in one chapter and how I appreciate that that he could take so much and he can say well all that details interesting and even important but let me tell you the essence of what's coming and what's happening As we make our way into Matthew chapter 24, we begin a new message from Pastor Sam entitled The Great Tribulation. Now here Jesus gives his disciples understanding about what must come to pass before he takes up his throne here on earth. It certainly does not sound like very good news, at least to those who do not know the Lord. Matthew 24, The Great Tribulation. It's absolutely amazing to me that people can read the Bible, read the papers, watch the news, and somehow come to the conclusion that things are getting better and better. I don't know if you happen to be in that category where you're just the extreme optimist and you look at the news and you look at the Bible and you think, well, I'm sure things are getting better. Well, I want to assure you they're not. And I'm not just a pessimist or some doom and gloom type guy. No, I'm a realist. And when it comes to things spiritual, I think we all need to be realist. When it comes to where our society is heading, we're not going to make it better by pretending it's getting better. In fact, let me read you something. It's out of Second Timothy as Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy. He says, know this in the last days. I believe them to be these days. Perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I believe that that's an apt description of the days in which we're living. And, and as Jesus gives us, well, some clues into the things that lie just ahead in Matthew 24, I want you to see that his disciples looking around and listening to him were just as puzzled as many are today. What's going on and where's God in the midst of this? And if God cares, why isn't he doing something? Well, I want to assure you, God cares, and he is, in fact, doing something and promises to do yet far more. What's he doing right now? Well, he's waiting, and he's giving us opportunity to reach our generation. In fact, Second Peter tells us that scoffers would come in the last days saying, where's the promise of his coming? I mean, haven't Christians always been saying, Jesus is coming again, Jesus is coming again? Well, yeah, that's true. We have, and we'll continue to. But they say, where's the promise of his coming? Things continue as they have always been. Peter points out that, well, they're neglecting a couple things, past judgments like the flood. I mean, it hasn't always just gone on as it is. And he says, and, and judgment will come. But here's the deal. God is delaying his judgment for one reason and one reason alone. He's long-suffering and patient, not willing any perish, but all come to repentance. Now, we know not all will repent, not all will turn from sin, not all will trust in him, but he's patiently waiting for those who will. And so um, the bottom line is, at some point, someday, 
that that last believer, that last person that the Lord's waiting on is going to come to the Lord. He's going to call us home. We're going to hear the trumpet sound, the voice of an archangel. We're going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord. His promise of John 14, that we could be where he is and with him will be fulfilled. His prayer of John 17, that we could see the glory he had before the world began, that prayer will be answered. And so I'm thinking, listen, if you're holding off or you're holding back, you might be the last one. So would you do us a favor and give your life to the Lord today? Don't hold us up anymore, you see. Because any believer who really knows what's coming, man, you've got to be praying, Lord, come quickly. As you see it getting worse, as you see the prophecies, and the only thing that should be tethering us here, anchoring us here, should be our love for the Lord and our love for the lost, our desire to see people come to Christ. Well, the disciples, having uh, left with Jesus, he's been in the temple courts, he's dealt with the religious hypocrites, and we saw that last time. We read, Jesus went out, departing from the temple. His disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, one of the most amazing things about this statement is what happens immediately after. Nobody like Peter blurts out, hey, that'll never happen, or there's no way, or that sounds impossible or incredible. You see, even those disciples, as hard-headed as they were and difficult as they were to disciple, they were learning. And finally, three and a half years into it here, they're starting to get it. If Jesus says something, though they may not understand it, though it may seem incredible, though it may seem impossible, well, if he says it, you can count on it. And I take their silence to mean that, well, they're actually stewing on what he has to say. The temple, by the way, he speaks of here was Herod's temple. It was glorious, magnificent. So much so built on this hill that, that as you came from any direction, you were always going up to Jerusalem and you were always headed toward the temple. But the pillars themselves, made out of marble, were so huge that three guys would have to join hands and to even, you know, get their arms around the things. Just massive, wonderful, structured, great porches where hundreds of people could meet. And that's where Jesus did most of his ministry and teaching when he was in the city of Jerusalem and the outer courts, those great porches. But, but as they look at this massive structure and they're saying, check this out, Lord, he's saying, hey, not one stone here will remain upon another. Well, because we have the unique privilege of looking at all this, well, from the 21st century, and this was all being spoken in the first century, we know that this prophecy was fulfilled literally. I think that's going to be important as we look at the rest of what the Lord has to say, because I believe the rest of the prophecies of Matthew 24, including his literal, physical, bodily second coming, will be fulfilled, literally. Now what happens is, is as they look at the temple, Jesus says, not one stone will remain upon another. In 70 AD, Titus besieging the city. They starved out the people. Over a million people died in the city. Over 100,000 were taken captive once they actually went in. The city itself burnt and destroyed. And, and because the temple was so magnificent and, and there was so much gold and, and all of this, as the thing was set afire, well, what, what happens is that all of the gold begins to melt and, and flow out. And, and they literally tore the place apart stone by stone in order to get at it, in order to get to the gold, fulfilling the prophecy of our Lord. Now what happens is the disciples are puzzled and Jesus begins to put together all the pieces of the puzzle 
so that they can have an accurate picture of what was coming. Much of what he had to say would have application to them, but ultimately would be pointing much further forward, even beyond our day, this day, to something I believe is in our near future. Well, read with me then. Jesus answered, verse 4. Oh, no, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, don't want to skip the questions. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They were puzzled. When will all this happen? Well, the destruction of the temple, already mentioned it, 70 AD. It's interesting that Pete, that um, Matthew here doesn't even give us those particular details. You've got to read through the other gospel accounts to get the exact details concerning the destruction of the temple. No, his purposes go much deeper and much further. He deals more with the what. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, the word for coming there, when we hear it, we always think second coming. And that's natural because of the times in which we're living. The Bible is complete. But remember, they didn't have any New Testament. All they had were Old Testament prophecies. And they had yet to put it together even. What he was talking about when he said, I'm going to be crucified and I'll rise again the third day. And, you know, they're, they're like, what do you think he's talking about? They really didn't understand. And they couldn't put together how he could possibly die and still rule and reign. Because they weren't factoring in the resurrection. They weren't factoring in the, the, the ascension. They weren't factoring in a second coming at all. So when, when he, they asked the question, what will be the sign of your coming? They're not saying your second coming. But ultimately, that is what, well, that's when these things will all be fulfilled, right prior to his second coming. I bring that to your attention only to say that three words are translated or used in this way of the coming of the Lord in Scripture. The first perusa, it, it's here. And, and that literally means presence. What will be the sign of your presence? When are you going to make your presence known? Now, he'd made himself known to his disciples. He told them who he was. He demonstrated that he was the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah. And they're saying, when are you going to let everyone know? In essence, they saw these two questions as one. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? When will you be establishing your kingdom, fulfilling the prophecies, the rest of the prophecies, Lord? When will we sit on those 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel as you've promised? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Yet another word that is translated coming is the word apocalypse. It, it really is, is the same event as we look now from our perspective. His appearing or his, his uh, presence, his perusa, that's going to happen when he returns to the earth. His apocalypse, well, the book of Revelation, the word means an unveiling or a revealing. The book of Revelation, that title, that word revelation comes from the Greek apocalypse. And so they're, they're saying, in essence, though they're not using the word, when will you be unveiling yourself? When will you be revealing yourself? When will you be manifesting to all who you are? And then there's epiphany. That means appearing or brightness or, or literally a shining forth. That word was actually used of Jesus' incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, his epiphany. We, we saw him glorified, shining forth. Well, they're saying, when will you be coming? You know, when will you be revealing yourself, manifesting who you are, making your presence known? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? Now, they don't say the end of the world, and there's a good reason. The Bible isn't teaching us, and Matthew 24 isn't teaching us that Jesus' coming will be the end of the world. No, it will be a glorious rebirth and a beginning of something that God intended from the very beginning. 
In fact, if you read through the Old Testament prophets, you'll find that after the Great Tribulation, which we're considering today, Jesus will return, which we'll consider next week. And when he does, he'll establish his thousand-year kingdom on this earth, where the earth will be restored to, well, its Garden of Eden-type state. I've been to the closest to it, Hawaii. I'm sure that it's going to be better than that. It has to be because, well, it just has to be. Why, even Hawaii's under the curse, you see. But I'll tell you, if it's better than Hawaii, I can't wait. Another reason to say, Lord, come quickly. Let's get to the kingdom that you've promised. Well, what will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age? They couldn't separate the two questions in their minds because they didn't see a first and second coming. They didn't understand the reality of his death and then his return to rule and to reign. Well, years ago, we had an interesting experience with one of our guides in Israel. His name was David. He's since become a Christian, but years after year after year, different Calvary groups would go, and, and we often requested him as a guide. He was a great guide. He wasn't a believer then, though, and we would have wonderful discussions about Isaiah 53, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace upon him, by his stripes we're healed, and we're like, you really think that could be related to David? I mean, what could he be talking about? But, you know, he just couldn't see it at that point. King David, by the way, not that David we were talking to. And so, uh, so you know, that was King David writing, but writing of the Messiah. And we tried to point it out, and he just couldn't see it. Well, we're like, well, what are you going to do if the Lord returns and, and you haven't prepared yourself? And this was his response. He says, well, I'm going to just get alone with him and say, hey, one nice Jewish boy to another. Is this your first time here or second? <laughs> It sounded pretty funny to him, and it does, of course, to you. But the problem is, it's a very serious situation. For if David were to stand before the Lord at his coming, having not prepared for that coming, he would have had to hear those words, depart from me. And so, well, fortunately, now we know that won't happen. David's given his life to the Lord. And I encourage you, if, if you're thinking, you know, you're just going to get in a conversation with the Lord, you'll kind of negotiate out a deal. It's not going to happen, you see. Unless a man be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. You, you may know it's coming, but you'll never be a part of it. So you want to make sure you make things right with the Lord. Well, Jesus begins to fill in the blanks to deal with their puzzlement by actually giving them a series of pieces of the puzzle. And what I see is Jesus sort of summarizes what, well, what we get in the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 19. He summarizes it here in one chapter and how I appreciate that, that he could take so much and he can say, well, all that detail is interesting and even important, but let me tell you the essence of what's coming and what's happening. You, you remember he did the same thing when he dealt with the law and the prophets. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and all the prophets. So he's saying, hey, get this and you've got that. And I think if you get Matthew 24, well, you'll understand then the book of Revelation. And if you read Revelation and you're like, it's too weird, I can't understand it, you really can. You just need to take what's literal, literally, and, and most of it is. And when there's figurative language, we'll understand. Figurative language is just that. But in any case, Jesus goes on and answers, take heed, verse 4, that no one deceives you. He's telling us what it's going to be like right prior to his coming and the end of the age, that it would be a time of great deception. Eight or nine warnings in this short passage dealing with the reality of deception. So he's telling them and he's saying to us, of course, take heed 
that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. The first sign that we are getting close to the coming of the Lord, he says, is that there would be many false Christ, many antichrist, many come in his name saying, I am the Christ. Now, know this, that the Christ of the cults, the Jesus of the cults, the gospel of the cults, false Christ, false Jesus, false gospel. In fact, Paul writing to the church in Galatia says that there is another Christ. He's a deceiving Christ, many antichrist. There is another Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible, and that Jesus can't save. There is another gospel, but it's not really good news because it leads people to a Christless eternity. And what happens with the cults primarily, if you had to boil that down to its essence, is they deny either Jesus' deity, that means that he is truly God, God the Son and the Son of God. They deny his humanity, that he was truly a man, or they deny the sufficiency of his sacrifice, that he and he alone can atone for your sins and mine, that he alone can pay for the sin of mankind. Or they deny all three, his deity, his humanity, and the sufficiency of his sacrifice. But that's the essence of cultism. They talk about Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. They talk about the Messiah, but for them there were many Christs, many Messiahs, Jesus just the one of his day, and, and now this Savior or that Savior. The bottom line is, if the Bible tells us that this same Jesus will so come in like manner as you saw him go, and that's exactly what Scripture testifies, they were in the first chapter of Acts, well, that means that if anyone else comes saying, I am the Christ, they're lying unless they're the same Jesus. Well, next week's all about the second coming. We'll get to that, but see it. Many in my name saying, I am the Christ. First century, man, that happened. It applied to them directly and personally. But it looks far forward because, well, he's talking about the time right prior to his second coming. So it applies to them and it applies, well, even more profoundly to us. Then he says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Wars and rumors of wars. It's been estimated there have been over 15,000 wars since these words were spoken. So wars are no new thing. They're not unique. And so he's saying, hey, don't be troubled by them. That doesn't mean we should just accept them as inevitable or not do all we can to, to try to avoid them. But, but ultimately, when he says don't be troubled, he's saying don't be terrified by the fact that the world is falling apart. All of these things are pieces of the puzzle and put together, they say, hey, Jesus is about to return. So the nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. This actually speaks to us of world wars. And it wasn't until the 20th century, the last century, that we had an actual world war. Lots of tyrants over the years tried to take over other territories, but no one, nobody ever succeeded in getting the whole world basically at war against one another till World War I. And then World War II, same exact scenario. And so we find the fulfillment of this prophecy, not just wars and rumors of wars, but nations against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. And then he mentions famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. It's interesting to note that though we have the capability of feeding all the people on the planet, millions continue to starve, and, and famines are common throughout the world. 
And the problem isn't that we can't grow enough food. We just can't get it to the people who need it. And oftentimes the famines are in countries that are war-torn. And so even when we ship the food there, and well, the, the military takes that for themselves and the people continue to suffer and starve. But, but he says this will be a sign of the end. Famines, pestilence. What's a pestilence? It's an incurable and horrible disease. Well, AIDS is such a, a, a pestilence. Ebola virus, you recall it. There are others in similar um, families. But, but not just that. Now we know of biological agents that really are capable of wiping out all of the, the people on the planet. In fact, before we get to the end, or as we get to the end of our study today, Jesus says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. There's a prophecy for you. Things are going to get so radical that we would be capable of completely annihilating ourselves. So that's how bad it will get. And, and of course, remember, he's talking about this in the first century. Famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Now, when I share with people who are a bit skeptical or cynical about the Bible, and I try to tell them, hey, these are the signs of the end times, they say, listen, those things have always been happening to which I have to admit you're right. And you need to know that if you're sharing and you're saying, hey, here's the signs of the end times, wars and rumors of wars, kingdoms and nations warring, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. Well, haven't those things always been happening? Yes, they have. But, but note what he says next, because it is, it is the key to unlocking this part of the prophecy. All these, he says, are the beginning of sorrows, literally birth pangs. Why birth pangs? Well, you know, if you've been involved in a birth, and by the way, even if you don't remember it, you have been, uh, all of us, one way or another, but if you've birthed a child or you're a dad and you've been there for the birth of a child, you know that weeks and months before the actual birth pangs, there are these Braxton Hicks um, um, uh, contractions, and they feel like the real thing. At least that's what women who've never actually had the real ones think. And so, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm having birth pangs. Well, no, you're just having something to kind of warm you up to what's coming. And uh, then what happens when the actual birth pangs begin to appear? Well, they are much greater in frequency and much greater in intensity. That's how you know the baby's coming. You've been there, many of you. It's like, hey, eight minutes apart, five minutes apart, four minutes apart, two minutes apart. Where's that doctor? You know, it's, man, as they get closer together and more and more intense, you know the birth is about to occur. That's exactly what our Lord is telling us here. As these signs grow in frequency and intensity, you know that the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says elsewhere, look up, your redemption draws nigh. Now here's the deal. You don't have to take my word for this. You don't have to get a Bible commentary on it. You can go to the Center for Disease Control on your uh, computer and, and check out all of the incredible amounts of biological dangers there are, all of the different viruses and things that are out there, many incurable, many beginning to mutate. So even when you find something that helps now, there's a new mutation of it. You can go to, uh, there are a very variety of um, places you can go to check out earthquakes. I did this some time back and, and uh, there's one site where it shows you all the places where earthquakes are actually happening on the planet right now. 
it's kind of shocking. You wouldn't think, well, how many earthquakes would there be happening right now? It can be in the hundreds. And what happens is they've been tracking this stuff for quite some time. And I know we have more sophisticated equipment. We're able to better, you know, see what's going on. But the bottom line is Jesus says they'll be increasing in frequency and intensity. And I promise you, if you check it out, you'll find that to be the case. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 tell us this. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, one of the many reasons I believe that this event will happen to the church before the Great Tribulation begins is because the very next verse, it says, therefore comfort one another with these words. I don't find a lot of comfort in thinking about the Great Tribulation, much less living through it. But I do find great comfort in knowing the Lord is coming and will remove us before it happens. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.